Hey everyone, my name is Randall Heyer and I'm the worship arts pastor here at Cochrane Alliance Church. We are so glad that you've come to check out the latest sermon and we pray that you are encouraged, challenged, and ultimately that you are drawn closer to Jesus. Enjoy. Let's, uh, let's pray for the service this morning. Heavenly Father, today we, we get to celebrate the great gift of the Holy Spirit, but we also recognize we live in a fallen and broken world where tragedy happens. And we are instructed in Scripture to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. And, and we've seen a lot of tragedy in the past few weeks, I think, Lord. We've, we've heard of sickness and death. And Lord, we long for your coming. We long for a world to be put right. But we ask that you would empower us by your Spirit to be people of comfort and people of peace, and even people of joy as we walk through life with people who've gone through suffering and hardship. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray you'd give us the words to say, and that we'd be, we'd be people of hope in the middle of a, of a dark world. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Well, as I said, today we are celebrating, we're basically celebrating a birthday. We're celebrating the birth of the church. It's Pentecost Sunday, in case you weren't aware of that. Sometimes in the evangelical church, we, we don't know our church calendar very well. So people are like, oh, it's Pe- what's Pentecost Sunday? Okay, so Pentecost Sunday is the day we remember the church was born. And the church was born when the Holy Spirit was sent from the Father to fill his people with presence and power. Without the Holy Spirit, I'm going to like just say this. I, I think this is absolutely true. Without the Holy Spirit, the church would never have accomplished what it did. Without the Holy Spirit, we cannot accomplish the plans that God has for us. Just as a church in general, we can't do what God calls us to do without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. More than 100 years ago, Charles Spurgeon put it like this. And if Spurgeon says it, I mean, you know. He said, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. We are as ships without wind or chariots without steeds. Like branches without sap, we are withered. Like coals without fire, we are useless. An offering without the sacrificial flame, we are unaccepted. The early church, the New Testament church, provides the perfect illustration of why Spurgeon would say, without the Spirit of God, we can do nothing. Think about that, that group of believers gathered in that upper room on the day of Pentecost. The leaders of the church were former fishermen and tax collectors. They weren't, in the beginning of the gospel narratives, very courageous or faithful, In some ways, they had a lot of faith, and in other ways, they lacked faith. And in some ways, they had a lot of courage, and in some ways, they lacked courage. And and I think if you were to, like, look at Peter, you'd go, I don't know if he's, like, lead pastor material, right? He's kind of brash, he's kind of bold, he's kind of impulsive, right? He denied Jesus. I mean, that's a bit of a red flag. Should be. I don't know, you know. Um, But they're kind of, like, not the guys necessarily that, that you would say, yeah, these are the guys, Right? You look, at, you look at their training. You're a fisherman? You, you, yeah, and they were going to put you in charge of the church? But these are the men who are in charge of the church. And, and after Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit is poured out, these same, can I, they're kind of nobodies. In the grand scheme of the Roman Empire, I mean, who are these guys? Some fishermen? All of a sudden, these guys are transformed. And with courage and with faith, they turn their community, and eventually they turn the world upside down. Now, to the existing Jewish religious establishment, those early Christians were mocked as unlearned and ignorant people with very few resources. And to the Roman Empire, they just seemed like this really small, fanatical, weird, strange cult. 
But the one thing the New Testament church possessed was the power of the Holy Spirit. And so in spite of a Roman Empire who uh, looked down on them and even persecuted them, and to a Jewish religious establishment that also looked down on them and persecuted them, they didn't have much in terms of human power or human resources, but they were given the Holy Spirit. And the early believers knew that Christianity was hopeless without the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at the day of Pentecost today, and we see how absolutely necessary the Holy Spirit is in the life and the growth of the church. Jesus told his disciples this, Acts chapter 1. He told his disciples this. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he said you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, to end Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Sometimes we hear this passage, and we think that the most important command here is go. Go make disciples. It's an important command, but that's not the most important command. The most important command is actually when Jesus commanded his disciples to wait. Wait until the Father sends the Holy Spirit. Wait until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I want you to notice, it's not a suggestion that Jesus is making. He's not just saying, you know, I think it would be good if you guys waited for a bit before you went. He's saying, no, you've got to wait. I'm commanding you to wait here until the Holy Spirit is given. Wait. And why is it so important? It's because the mission that Jesus has for his people, the church, cannot be accomplished without the full empowerment of the Holy Spirit. It's really that simple. You you can't do the job that Jesus has called you to do without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I can't even live this Christian life without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. I can't love the way I should love. And I can't forgive the way I should forgive. And I don't have self-control the way I should unless the Holy Spirit empowers me. So we can't go and make disciples until we understand the role of the Holy Spirit and the importance of walking in the fullness of the Spirit. Our associate pastor back in Drumheller one time challenged us in a Sunday sermon with this question. I think he pulled it from A.W. Tozer. You'll see that in a minute. But he said, if the Holy Spirit was removed from this church, would we notice? Now, that's a hypothetical question because anyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit within them. We're sealed by the Holy Spirit for eternity, so we're not going to lose the Holy Spirit. Yet I think it's a valid hypothetical question to get us thinking. If the Holy Spirit was removed from this church, would we notice a difference? What this question does is it starts to ask us to reflect on how dependent are we on the great gift of the Holy Spirit? Do we listen to the Spirit? Do we obey? Do we seek the presence and the fullness of the Spirit continuously? So though we know we cannot lose the Holy Spirit, we do know that the Holy Spirit can be grieved. The Holy Spirit can be quenched. We're commanded to be filled with the Spirit, as Paul says in Ephesians 5. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. So we know that it's actually possible for believers or churches to be living with only the tiniest trickle of the Spirit in their lives. The idea of filling in this passage is written in the Greek in such a way that we, if you kind of, yeah, I'll just explain it to you. 
the way that the Greek word is written is not saying, oh, one time you'll be filled with the Spirit and then you're good forever. It's saying every day. It's a continual filling. It's an ongoing filling. It's continuously walking in the fullness and in the presence of the Spirit. Not a one-time event, but a daily walking in step with the fullness of the Spirit. Because as D.L. Moody puts it, the fact is we're leaky vessels. And we have to keep right under the fountain all the time to keep full of Christ and so to have a fresh supply. I think the unfortunate truth is that sometimes we can choose to limit the fullness of the Spirit working in our lives. We can... I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes I think we can even despise the work of the Spirit. And we can treat the gifts of the Spirit with contempt. And when we dismiss the good gifts of the Spirit, Paul warns us in 1 Thessalonians 5, 19-22, Do not quench the Spirit. Do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. Reject every kind of evil. But I think we want to recognize that there is the possibility of quenching the Holy Spirit by treating the gifts of the Holy Spirit with contempt. The Alliance pastor and author A.W. Tozer recognized that the Spirit can sometimes be so neglected in churches that the Holy Spirit is reduced to having almost no role at all in the lives of the people or in the decision-making of the church. Tozer says it's possible to run a church and run all of its activity without the Holy Spirit. You can organize the church, you can get the board together, you can call a pastor, you can form a choir, you can launch a Sunday school, and you can launch a women's ministry. You can get it all organized, and the organizing part isn't bad, but you can get it all organized, and you can get that pastor in place, and then you just turn the crank. And some people think that's all church is. I call it playing church. We all know how to play church. Put your best on, come in, you know, hang out with people you like. We know how to do that. And he says, and I think this is where our associate pastor got it from, he says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. But if the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Tozer's pretty blunt. But I, I think that what he's asking us to do is to reflect once again just on that question, how dependent are we on the Holy Spirit? How much do we seek the, full, the filling of the Spirit in our daily lives and in our churches? Because if we wanted to, we could run the church like any other nonprofit organization, like the Rotary or the Elks Club. We could gather together and, and with like-minded people and do good work in our community, and it would be pretty good, and we'd throw some religious stuff in. But we need the empowerment. Pentecost reminds us that churches need to listen to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in Revelation 2.29, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. He doesn't just say it there. He actually says the same thing to all seven churches. You must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying. And I would say this. Jesus is saying the same thing to his church today. Listen to the Spirit. And so today we, we remember that the church was born of the Holy Spirit, grew up in the Spirit, and was led by the Holy Spirit. We should not fear the Spirit of God, but gladly embrace the gift the Father has given to us. Sometimes Christians are fearful of the Holy Spirit. But Jesus says the Holy Spirit is a gift, a great gift, the greatest gift. Jesus told us this. He said, I'm telling you the truth 
It's for your benefit that I go away. Because if I don't go away, the counselor, that is the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus says, hey, it's actually better that I leave because then you'll receive the Holy Spirit. The book of Acts and the day of Pentecost draws us back to the need of our church to rely upon the person, the work, and the presence and the power of the great gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a challenging task to preach one sermon on the work of the Holy Spirit in our church because, as you might know, there are so many ways the Holy Spirit works in our lives and in our church. And I just want to give you a, a list of a few things the Holy Spirit does. Because, And I'm giving you this list because sometimes people are afraid of the Holy Spirit. So I just want to tell you what the Holy Spirit does in the believer's life. The Holy Spirit will lead us into truth. The Holy Spirit will speak to us of Jesus and glorify him. The Holy Spirit will convict us of sin. Holy Spirit will pour the love of the Father into our hearts. Holy Spirit reminds us that we are God's children and heirs. Holy Spirit produces godly fruit in us. The Holy Spirit gives us words to speak. The Holy Spirit will help us to pray. The Holy Spirit will empower us and will give us spiritual gifts from the great variety of gifts. We all, that's what the Spirit does, and that is a great gift. How could you live the Christian life without the Holy Spirit doing this in your life? Today, I obviously can't go through all of these things. I mean, we'd be here till supper time or later. So I'm going to choose two areas to focus on where the Holy Spirit builds the church by giving the church power and wisdom. Those are the two things we're going to focus on today because I believe that the Canadian church needs the power of the Holy Spirit and the wisdom of the Holy Spirit together. So on the day of Pentecost, after waiting in prayer, the believers receive this, right, in Acts chapter 2, and I'll just read it for us. In Acts chapter 2, as they were waiting in that upper room, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each of them. Then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Isn't that cool? They were speaking in actual languages they didn't know. I've actually heard a story of this. Our associate pastor's wife was down in Mexico, and she didn't speak much Spanish, hardly any at all. I mean, you know, enough to say, like, some numbers and stuff. But she was out walking and praying, Lord, I, I, want, I want to be able to share your gospel with someone who needs to hear it. I don't know how that's going to happen. And she ran into two Mexican ladies on her walk, and she, she said, you know, hello in Spanish to them, and they said, and then they started talking, and she said it was... Weird, because suddenly I realized that they didn't speak English and I didn't speak Spanish, but we were somehow understanding each other. And I was able to tell them, I was praying for them and told them about Jesus, and, and they went on their way and I went on my way. So these things still happen today. It's the proclamation of the gospel. And so, of course, we want to acknowledge that one of the great gifts of the Holy Spirit is the empowerment piece, that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do the work God has planned for us to do. And as we think today about the role of the Holy Spirit in the church, that's one of those vital areas. So there's two areas that, that I am convinced we need to focus on as we think about the Holy Spirit and we need to seek in the church today. So first, 
We need to seek the Holy Spirit in power encounters that prove the message of the gospel is true. And secondly, we need to seek the Holy Spirit in our decision-making to help leaders of the church and then even us personally make the right decisions and be led to the right places. We're going to spend the next few minutes just examining how the early church relied upon the empowerment of the Holy Spirit for power and for wisdom. And although we, I know we can't duplicate everything the early church did, but I believe it would be a great error for us to not try and duplicate the early church's reliance and dependence upon the Holy Spirit. Because as Spurgeon says, we are useless without the Holy Spirit. So I want to look at the power encounters that confirm the message of the gospel. I'm not going to read all of them. Again, we'd be here till supper time if I did. So I'm going to pick some of my favorites. You might think of your own. But I mean, obviously we have one power encounter just in Acts chapter 2. We've already seen it. All of a sudden the Holy Spirit comes, or baptized in the Holy Spirit. They speak in the languages of languages they don't know so that they can proclaim the gospel to these people. And then that power continues in Acts chapter 3. So newly filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter and John, you remember this story? They see the lame man at the temple gate and uh, he's begging for money and they heal him. He stands up, he begins to walk. Everyone knows this lame man and a whole crowd gathers to say, how is this lame man up and walking? Peter and John are able to explain, well, it's because the power in the name of Jesus. Jesus is alive. You tried to kill him, but he's alive. Believe, repent and believe. So we had 3,000 come to faith uh, in Acts chapter 2. It says in Acts chapter 3, 2,000 more were added to the group through that time. So now you've got 5,000 people because of two power encounters. It leads people to believe what they're hearing about Jesus is true. My next favorite story comes uh, in Acts chapter 8, but we, we back up a bit. We're introduced to Philip, who's introduced as a spirit-filled man, and I love that. I want to key in on that. You've got 5,000 believers. Let's say half of them are men. You've got 2,500 men, but the, the leaders of the church pray first for spirit-filled men. Now, they all have the Holy Spirit, but they're looking for those who demonstrate that, that continual walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. So Philip is, is one of these men. Then when the great persecution of the church breaks out, Saul's persecuting the church greatly, and Philip goes to Samaria. And in Samaria, he speaks the gospel. And in Acts chapter 8, we read this. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Again, there's these displays of power that are confirming the message of the gospel. Now let's move on to, to Paul. He was once Saul, persecuting and terrorizing the church. Now he's Paul, evangelizing the Gentile world. Converted from darkness to light, he's working with Barnabas, and he ministers in the power of the Spirit as well. This is such a weird story. I'm gonna, I love it. Let's read it. Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who is an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elamas, for that is what his name means, he is the sorcerer, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elamas and said, You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You were full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You will be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, looking for someone to lead him. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. That's a weird story. 
but there's a power component to this. In Iconium, the display of power brings many to faith, even in the midst of great opposition. It says, Paul and Barnabas went as usual to the Jewish synagogue. There they spoke so effectively that a great number of Jews and Greeks believed. But the Jews who refused to believe stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against them. So Paul and Barnabas spent considerable time there. That's such an interesting thing too. Okay, so everyone's now been turned against them. But instead of leaving, it says, so they spent considerable time there right? Oh, everyone here kind of hates us. Well, I guess we'll just stay longer. Okay. But why would they do that? It says, so they spoke boldly for the Lord who confirmed the message of his grace by enabling them to perform signs and wonders. So I guess they're thinking to themselves, well, if the Lord is empowering us to do his work, even in the face of opposition, this is where we should stay until the Lord is done with us here. And then we can think about the time that Paul, Silas, and Luke are proclaiming the gospel in Philippi. First, they have an encounter with a fortune-telling slave girl. Luke says, She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. It's very accurate. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the Spirit left her. This causes such an uproar that Paul and Silas are arrested and locked into prison. And as they sing and they pray to the Lord in prison, the Lord moves in power. There was a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison were shaken. The chains came loose. The doors flew open and everyone was free. And this leads eventually to the Philippian jailer and his whole household believing. And there's a great church that rises up in Philippi. If you read Paul's letter to the Philippians, he just loves these people. But it comes out of these power encounters. A a demon is cast out. An earthquake comes. The the chains are loosed. Of course, there's plenty more stories of power encounters and displays of miracles and wonders. As Paul puts it in Romans 15, this is one of my favorite passages. He says, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done, by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. And I love how Paul does this. He says it's the word of God and the power of God put together. And that is the fullness of the gospel proclaimed. The church still needs that. Holy Spirit empowerment is an essential component of gospel proclamation and in confirming the message of the gospel to be true. And so I believe that we do need to ask the Holy Spirit to empower us in whatever ways are necessary. I tried to pick different power encounters that were different, right? We've got um, an encounter with a sorcerer, an encounter with a demon-possessed slave girl, healing miracles and signs and wonders because I don't know how the Spirit of God is going to empower you, but the Spirit of God will empower you. That's the promise of Scripture. Nobody here walks without power because all of us who follow Jesus have been given of the Holy Spirit to empower us, to live and work as royal priests in God's kingdom. Now let's look at the Holy Spirit's role in helping the church leadership make decisions. This, to me, is so key. I think we we have a lot of wise and intelligent people, but we need to continually seek the Holy Spirit's lead in how we make decisions. Let's, let's read first Acts 13. It says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, I guess some more, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. 
But notice this, this posture of waiting. So they're, they're praying and they're fasting. I mean, that's waiting upon the Lord. And as they wait upon the Lord, the Holy Spirit said, these men are to go. In Acts 15, we've got that kind of famous one. So all of a sudden, Gentiles are coming to faith in Jesus. And the Jewish people are like, wait, that's kind of weird. What are we going to do with these Gentiles? Do they have to follow the Jewish customs and laws? Or can they just do their Gentile thing? What are we supposed to do? And there's this great debate. And as they discussed it and they prayed it, they eventually put a letter together that said this statement. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to not burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Abstain from food sacrificed from idol, to idols, from blood, the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You'll do well to avoid these things. But notice, they don't say, it seemed good to us. They say, you know what? After praying and fasting, the Holy Spirit confirms that this is what you are to do. That's a really important piece. It's not just some wise men making decisions. They're going, the Holy Spirit is leading us to this. And finally, in Acts 16, that whole series of events in Philippi that we just read about, the, the slave girl and, and uh, the Philippian jailer and, and all of that happening, it came because the Holy Spirit led them there. We read this, Paul and his companions traveled through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching in Asia. When they came to the border of Messiah, they tried to enter into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them. So they passed by Messiah and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come to Macedonia to help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And they go. The Holy Spirit prevents them from going here. The Holy Spirit prevents them from going there. The Holy Spirit gives Paul a vision in a dream. And they go, and eventually the church in Philippi is born. But we put all this together, and what we see is that without a reliance and an awareness of the Holy Spirit, the early church would never have been able to accomplish the purposes God had for them. It's all through there. Every time a church is established, every time the gospel is proclaimed, it is the Holy Spirit empowering them or leading them to do it. So remember that Jesus does not simply say, go into all the world. He commands, wait until the Spirit is given. Because only by the Holy Spirit are they going to be able to accomplish this task. The church was birthed by the power of the Holy Spirit, grew up in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we must still rely on the Holy Spirit today to sustain and build the church of Jesus. And I would say this. If the apostles and the early church needed to wait upon the Holy Spirit and rely upon the Holy Spirit to proclaim the gospel and to make decisions then nothing has changed for us. We're not so modern that we don't need the Holy Spirit anymore. So we need the Holy Spirit to provide power for signs and wonders so that the message of the gospel is proved and to help us make decisions, to lead us, to guide us, to give us the words to say. You've probably noticed that our Canadian culture continues to embrace secularism. And you know, as you go younger and younger in the generations, it seems like more and more people look at the church with somewhat, they're somewhat suspicious of the church and sometimes they're outright hostile towards the church. And I think in this type of cultural environment, it's critical that we embrace the fullness of the Spirit in our lives and in our church. Not only because the Holy Spirit transforms us to become more like Christ, to help us love even those who do not love us, but because our world needs an empowered church. Do you think that the world is dark? Yes, I think we've seen it. Then the world needs an empowered church that stands out as a light on a hill 
that looks vastly different from anything else the world is offering. I think sometimes we think that in Canada, you know, we have maybe a nation of people that seem uninterested in spiritual things or uninterested in exploring spirituality. We go, well, that's probably why the church numbers are declining. People just aren't interested in spiritual things anymore. But that's actually not true. Gary Nelson, who's the former president of Tyndale University, wrote this. He said, ample studies show that Canadians are, in fact, quite interested in exploring spirituality. They're just not sure the institutional church is a place where that search and exploration could or should take place. In fact, in conversations I've had over the years, I've constantly been surprised that many searching people had not even considered the church. Canadians are looking for spiritual help. They are interested in spiritual things. They just no longer see the church as a place to find it. People will have spiritual experiences, and they will seek out spiritual experiences in all sorts of places. They'll go to psychics and mediums, tarot card readers and crystal healers, Reiki massages or hot yoga or whatever it is to have a spiritual experience of some kind. Not always hot yoga. Sometimes that's just stretching. But sometimes people are looking for something. I mean... I'm telling you, if I did hot yoga, I'd probably be having a spiritual experience. I'd be dying. Uh, so it sounds unpleasant to me. But the point being, people are looking for spiritual experiences, but for some reason they don't see the church as a valid place. It was so interesting to be in Drumheller. We once had a, a medium come to town, and there was 120 tickets available to see the medium. Within 20 minutes, 120 tickets sold. They sold out the place to commune with dead spirits. So people are interested in spiritual things, but they don't think to come to church. There, there is no shortage of hunger for spiritual truth in Canada, or spiritual experience even, but the unfortunate reality is that the church is not seen as relevant in that spiritual search, and I wonder if people see the church as powerless. Just another human institution offering a few rules for moral living, but lacking any real power for change. Because maybe that's the way we've presented things. Come here and try hard to be a good person. Follow Jesus and try hard to be a good person. We miss the empowerment piece. It's not you try to be a good person. It's the very presence of Jesus will indwell you by the Spirit, and he will change you and make you new and empower you to live the way you were always meant to live. Tozer says, the restoration of the Spirit of God to his rightful place in the church and in the life of the believer is the most important thing that could possibly take place. And so my goal, listen, my story out of Drumheller, sometimes people would say, how did, how did the church in Drumheller succeed? How did, how did it go from kind of just on the edge of viability to actually thriving as a church? Number one was prayer. Number two, I said, Lord, we can't do this on our own. We need your power and the Holy Spirit came in power. It transformed our church. And we, we can't take any credit for it. <laughs> we just said, we can't do it. God, you've got to. And we embrace the fullness of the Spirit for us. And so my goal now is to keep myself in step with the Spirit and then to help this church continue to follow the leading of the Spirit. We can so easily forget that everything we have comes from obedience to the will of Jesus and the leading of the Spirit you know, if we increased the attendance of this church until there was new room left, and we had everything a church could ever want, and an overflowing budget, but we didn't have the Holy Spirit, we might as well have nothing at all. We'd be just a good 
Rotary Club or an Elks Club doing some good stuff in the community. And so we have to remember the scripture. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. That's what the lost world is looking for. You know, outside this church in our community, people are looking for authentic movements of God. And they are hungry for authentic spiritual things. That's why they'll go and buy out every ticket to see the medium. Because they want something that is spiritual and authentic. But when the Holy Spirit fills a place, there is something authentic that no human effort can duplicate. And that's really what the lost world is looking for. Authentic moments where God is tangibly present. And so to do the work Jesus has called us to do, we need the power and the wisdom the Spirit gives. We do have spiritual answers to people's spiritual questions. And we have not only the teachings of Jesus in Scripture, but we also have the presence and the power of Jesus given to us by the Father through the Holy Spirit, and we need both. I'm going to call the worship team up, and I'm going to lead us in a prayer as they get settled. And it's a prayer to embrace and welcome the Holy Spirit. I I took this from Mark uh, Bubeck, just to give credit. Join me in praying. Blessed Heavenly Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we desire to walk in the Spirit today. We recognize that only as the Holy Spirit lives and empowers the life of the Lord Jesus in us will we be able to escape the works of our flesh. We pray that the Holy Spirit may produce his fruit within our whole being. Forgive us, Holy Spirit, for the times we have grieved or quenched you. Enable us to respond to your grace and be sensitive to your voice. Grant us the desire and the ability to be obedient to your word. Grant us discernment to avoid being deceived by false spirits. We desire the Holy Spirit fill us with his presence today. In the name of the Lord Jesus, may we receive all the fullness of the Holy Spirit in our lives today. If there has been a fear of the Holy Spirit, Lord, I pray that you would fill our hearts with your love by your Spirit. Holy Spirit, come. Fill us afresh today. Fill us anew today. Let us walk in the fullness of the Spirit so that we might have power to live like Jesus lived. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh. Amen.